We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to be talking about Kent Bazemore. Lakers signed him to a vet minimum deal, a one-year deal. This is his second tour of duty with the Lakers. He was involved in the Steve Blake trade. We traded good old Steve Blake back in 2014 when it was clear that we were not on a playoff run. And in return, we got Marshawn Brooks and Kent Bazemore. And Bazemore at the time was a fringe NBA player, right? He's an end-of-the-bench guy for Golden State. But in playing in that end of the season on a bad team where it's kind of garbage time to end the season. Bazemore showed quite a bit at the end of that 2013-14 season. Uh, a great deal of versatility, and I remember liking him. He played 23 games for us, and I, I liked his tenure, but we didn't end up offering him a contract so that we could uh, pursue one Carmelo Anthony over that free agency. Again, it's funny how these things all end up tying together. Ended up signing with Atlanta and played there for a few years under Mike Budenholzer, but over the last four seasons, he's played for five different teams. The Lakers will be his, his fifth team. You got Atlanta, Portland, Sacramento, and then last season in Golden State. And while that makes him kind of the definition of a, of a journeyman, and my expectations were low on him going into to watching tape, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen. And Darius, what stands out to me the most is that he's okay at a wide variety of things, right? Yep. He can he can dribble a little bit. He's got some passing feel. He can defend on the ball and off of it. Uh, he can make open threes, runs the floor actually pretty well. That's one of my favorite parts of his game. But there's just a lot of different things where in none of those, it's not like a Wayne Ellington where he's in the top, say, 20th percentile of his type of player at one particular thing. He is okay at a bunch of different things. And I know that sounds like it's damning with faint praise, but with as many stars as we have, the more okayness that we can get out of our role players, the better. And I think that Bazemore is a, a type of generalist that I think is really going to help us out. Now, I think our team's very different than the one that he played on last season. I know you catch more Golden State games than I do, but just what's your general feel on Bazemore's addition, D? I like Bazemore as a player. I think your jack-of-all-trades 
description is good for him. I also think that that's one of the reasons why he ended up being in a lot of the Warriors closing lineups, even though he didn't start for them. It's because he could do a lot of different things for the Warriors and not take a lot off of the table for them. And and, and so later on in the season, you saw him playing more and more in small lineups. It was like Steph and Baysmore and Juan Toscano Anderson and Wiggins and Draymond, right? And like, there's your five guys. These wings, a bunch of wings that could switch. Golden State had a bunch of those guys. Kelly Oubre, Baysmore, Wiggins, Toscano Anderson. Lots of wings on that team. So Bays was a good player within the construct of what the Warriors were towards the end of the season. And if you remember the playing game, I thought he did a pretty good job defensively on Dennis Schroeder using his length and his superior size to Schroeder and and really leveraging his physical tools against a much quicker and smaller player than him in order to give him some, some issues. And if you take all of Bazemore's individual skills and you take his physical profile, I think he's a very good addition for the Lakers, particularly at the vet minimum. The thing I keep going back to with Bays, and, and this is sort of a wait and see for me, and Mike, I'm I'm super interested to get your opinion on, on Bazemore, but also from, from this perspective is that Pete, you mentioned the different st- the very different styles of play between how the Lakers have played and are projected to play next season, right, with three stars and ball dominant guys versus a Warriors team that is much that while they feature and favor Steph Curry, they are much more diplomatic and democratic within their offensive approach. They move the ball around. It's read and react. A lot of different players get to touch the ball on any give given possession. And I feel like that really helped Bazemore find a rhythm and, and maybe play above his head a little bit offensively last season, particularly as a shooter. And so you look at his raw stats last season and his skill set and you think, hey, that's a really good guy for for the Lakers. But I'm a little bit more wait and see with him to see if maybe a role where maybe he's not starting or not getting as many touches, if that ends up translating the same way. But but on paper, I like the fit. In practice, I'm more wait and see with him. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm overall probably more wait and see as well. Uh, but the first thing that he has going for him is that he is a French bulldog owner. And so I always respect people that also have Frenchies. So um, shout out to him. That was one of the things that we used to talk about when he was with the Lakers. Now, he's in that camp of played on four different teams in the last four years. And there that tells you two things. One, that you're good enough for a team to uh, like to still want but not cut. And but also that you're not completely that you are expendable um, to that team. So but my recollection of last year and when I watched the Warriors and the plan game is a little bit like, so the plan game, he has three threes, he has five steals, but he also has some play, some possessions that really hurt the Warriors where like his assisted turnover has never been good really in his career. So he's base is going to take chances sometimes when he gets the right. ball, he's going to get real aggressive and transition. You know, he's just kind of like, he's a high energy player at all times. And so usually that's, that's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good thing, but it's not it's not always controlled, I guess, is the way that I would put it as I 
I think I was choking on uh, – you leave this in, by the way. Don't cut this, Genie. I think I was choking <laughs> on a small chip. Pete likes to edit all this kind of these imperfections out. I say keep it in and just kick it over to Pete um, while I get the chip out of my throat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Bazemore is one of those dudes, again, like you said, is can do a higher risk type of plays. There's going to be right, some play where like yeah. – you're good. Okay, good, good. We weren't going to, yeah, we would have, if you had died on air, we would have definitely edited that out. Um, so, uh, yeah, baseball is one of those guys where he, um, yeah, he will take chances. And there are going to be some plays where it's like, yo, man, just give the ball to LeBron or give the ball to AD or to Russ. You don't, you don't have to be doing all that. That's certainly the case. I think that there's a positivity that, that, that has a positive side to it as well in that, I thought that our lack of ball handling ability, that's that's one area where we've talked so much about our shooting improvements from one season to the next. And on paper, we have a lot more shooting than we did last year. I think perhaps even more so is our ball handling ability. When you look at, and, and again, I, I will miss Alex, you know, KCP and Kuz. Each of those three guys relative to their position were well below average ball handlers. And there are so many situations in the game, especially when a defense is collapsing into the paint, where you have to attack a closeout and dish it off to a guy, or you get the outlet in transition. And it's the difference between aggressively pushing up and attacking the basket versus looking to give the ball to one of those stars. Now, in a lot of instances, that's exactly what you should be doing. But if you got a one-on-one advantage. There, there are all sorts of these places in the game where a guy who can just dribble a bit, again, like 40th percentile level dribbler, I think has value. It might be the optimist in me, Mike, but having another guy who can just put the ball on the deck and do a variety of different things, I think that we have enough of the stars to be able to go to him to be be like, yo, hey, base. Pass the ball, man. Like we don't need that type. I think that can be mitigated to a certain extent with the types of guys that we have. Is that too optimistic of a view? You think? No, and I, and I think he was pretty good down the stretch for the Warriors. So they were in the position where they basically had to win almost all of the, the their final like fifteen games, or at least that's the way they played going in. And the the kind of the caveat to that is that the teams that they played against didn't always find themselves in that same position. And that's when we see sometimes it's hard to just gauge the stats of a team that's really pushing towards the playoffs late because it, you're not getting the other team's best defense every night. So that's that's a little caveat. But nonetheless, he attempts basically at least five threes in almost every game, um, say for one blowout against OKC and is making a decent percentage of them. And part of that energy that I was referring to that sometimes can result in the the rare turnover is that, but he is always going to give you his effort on defense. He is always going to try um, on that end. And that's the kind of guy that this is why when we had our conversation about what we thought most likely lineups were, I'm just trying to think of the guy that you can depend upon for 48 minutes if needed of full defensive energy and not locking anybody down, not shutting down any big wing, but he's out there, he's competing. You know, he's and he'll he'll take threes like he's just he's going to do what the coaching staff wants him to do. And sure, at times, if he gets a little excited, you ran him in some. But he's he's mostly going to do the kinds of stuff that you want. And that's that's what you need from a veteran role player. And that's why he is still in the league and he's still around the league, even after kind of bouncing from team to team. Also, look at his history and profile, Mike. Like he was either a second round pick or undrafted. Right. And to stick in the league as long as he has, there's a certain amount of of, well, I need to compete and work hard in order to make it 
up here and in order to stick. And I think guys who come up that way, that never really leaves them. He got a good size money contract, I think, in in the middle part of his career. I think it, that was the Atlanta contract that Pete, you mentioned earlier. But the rest of his contracts have basically been like, you know, hey, you're that sort of expendable type of guy that Mike mentioned earlier. And guys who make that sort of money or who or who are on that sort of contract, I always feel like there's always a bit of a chip. There's always a bit of that looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do in order to stick in the league. And so that competitiveness, that defensive effort, that want to sort of do the little things, I think those things have been there for the majority of his career. Um there, there is that downside though of like, okay, well, when you're trying and trying and trying, sometimes you try to do a little bit too much. And I feel like his in-play decision making can be worrisome at times. And I think being up here in the Bay Area, I feel like he probably got a little bit more grief than what was deserved of him because everyone's looking at Steph and being like, come on, man, everyone needs to basically play perfect in order to help support this guy. And when they didn't, whether it was Wiseman or Kelly Oubre or Bazemore or anyone else, right? Like the only guy who really, I thought, skated free was Toscano Anderson. Like even Draymond caught some flack last season as great as Draymond was. And so I, I feel like he probably got a little bit more grief than what was earned, but it came from a place of like, yeah, yeah, you're still out there kind of doing some rough stuff sometimes. I would argue part of that is a function of the democratic style of play that you were talking about, where the ball moves around a ton in ways that Bazemore is getting touches and, and has the ball in places where the defense is not already compromised. That's the nature of Golden State style of play with the down screens and the, the back screen and all of the action to free up a perimeter player. And that's they are fundamentally opposite of us in the way that we talk so much about the Lakers putting pressure on the rim. Steph is such a unique talent, and that will only be uh, expanded by Clay returning, putting pressure on the perimeter in a, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, we got to guard this guy kind of way that the nature of the type of threes that Bazemore will get, he shot 41% from three during the regular season last season. I don't expect that to be a repeat. He's been a career 35, 36% guy, and I think that's more likely to be the place that he ends up with on the offensive end. But like I view the activity that can go that can be turned a little too far toward the you're doing too much. I view that as a positive thing on a team that has three stars all of which, when they are bad on defense, when LeBron, Russ, and AD are bad on defense, they are stagnant. They're guys who are not doing enough. And I think that even a guy like Nunn, we talked about him in the last podcast, Nunn is active on defense. He doesn't always make the right play. He can get beat by bigger, faster, stronger guys. But just guys that run around and do stuff, I think that in the context of our stars, Mike, I think that I will take the mistakes that come from that. It's even I'm even holding out some hope for a Wes Matthews reunion. That's one of the things that I loved about how Wes fit in with the team. I think those types of players on our team in particular is a is a better fit. Yeah, and that's this also it kind of brings into my point, Pete, that I always try to make that you just mentioned forty one percent versus thirty five percent. I don't care. That's the window for three point shooting that I'm sure. good with. It's it, the point is if he's shooting the three, you're going to close out to him. You're not just going to let him 
take a wide open corner three. And that difference. If I can jump in real quick, he had one of the biggest gaps between his percentage on wide open threes versus just open threes. When he's wide open, he's like 46 or 48%. When he's just contested a little bit, and it's part of why I'm concerned on playoff time, that drops down into 24%, right? So like you said, you have to account for him. You have to actually close out to him because if not, he's going to burn you. Yeah, so that's that's part of the baseball mix for sure. And the other thing, you guys were talking about the Golden State Warriors part of this. Well, guess who the Lakers play opening night? And we, as we just learned, so that there's part of that where I still think that Frank Vogel is going to need the preseason games and all of training camp and maybe even the first, set, I don't know, 10, 15 regular season games to really figure out which of these guys fit the best together. I think it was it was more obvious the last time the team was assembled and was almost completely new when, okay, Danny Green is going to start, KCP is going to start, and then, well, you know what, let's just have LeBron start at point guard. Well, 80, so boom, you kind of had your lineup, and then which center are going to go with JaVale? So this one, we, we've uh, go back and listen to the previous pods, and I, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about lineup, but that might give him an edge in the first game just knowing how to guard Steph and knowing what Steph's tendencies and knowing the Golden State system. And, you know, maybe that's one thing that's one thing that he might have in his as a advantage for early. I should say early in the season, but literally just opening night and uh, not to the degree to which how much that matters. I don't know, but it's just something to think about. I'll be interested to see what Vogel does decide, though, early on in camp. Right. Um, Mike, you mentioned KCP earlier, but I think it was Bradley who ended up starting yeah. at the beginning of the season. And I think all of us were sort of just yeah, like, touche, touche. like Avery Bradley, huh? Is it really going to be Bradley? Right. Like, is it really? And, and Vogel was playing coy a little bit saying, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we're testing some things out and we're just looking, we're trying out a lot of different stuff. And then, you know, all of preseason, all of training camp, and then all of preseason. And then it's opening night and there's Avery Bradley. And, if Bradley would have gone to the bubble, he would have started in the bubble, right? And so, like, and so, I feel like we will see if base. I feel like if Baysmore gets that early season shot, it actually is because Vogel believes in him as a real player throughout the course of well, of the entire season. I'd love though, and maybe we can get into this next, Pete, like like in the second half of the pod. But I'd also love to sort of discuss his game in a bit more in depth about where we think his individual skills matter most for this specific team because I think that there are some defensive things that I'm super interested in in exploring with him um, whether or not he's actually more of a three or a two or maybe even like a guy who can defend point guard some yeah let's take a quick break and we'll come back we'll talk about his defensive role We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad you brought this up, Dee, because in the context of watching Bazemore tape, that was one thing that stood out about Golden State. That's one thing I'm trying to get better at from of watching new players is understanding the environment of their team and the ways in which that can be very different than ours. One of the things that I'll, I've been doing is watching games against the top teams in the league because at in our present condition, really we're building a team to beat three, four other teams in the NBA that we could be facing both in in high-level Western Conference games and possibly the finals. So watching those games against those teams, I put an extra degree of, of stock into that. One thing that I noticed was that you know, Andrew Wiggins is a good defender. Kelly Oubre is a good defender. Juan Toscano-Anderson is a good defender, as is Bazemore. But because they had so many guys like that, we talk about slotting so often in the context of offensive role, is... But on defense, there's a big difference between being the wing stopper on the team or being one of the guys who can defend wings on the team. And I think that's one of the places of skepticism that I come from in that I like Kent Bazemore as a defender. Do I want him to be our main guy that's in charge of defending the Devin Bookers and the James Hardens or even up a position to Durant? I think he has slotted one spot too high in terms of his proper place defensively no i think that's spot on to me and if he is your best wing defensive player or the wing defensive player who is asked to carry the biggest load you're probably not going to be a great defensive team i feel like it's just too heavy of a lift for him probably at any point of his career, but especially now as like a 31 or 32 year old, right? Like there is, I feel like, okay, the second best guy or situationally, maybe you'll defend point guards, even though that's not your position, right? Because we like your size. Um, in the play-in game, we saw him defend Dennis Schroeder and I thought he did a pretty good job on Dennis using his length and his size and, and just being a bigger player, right? And, and so Bazemore has some physical tools, but those tools are going to be exploited against, and, and they're not as high caliber when you put him up against those elite scoring wing types or especially the bigger wing types. Like, would I feel comfortable having him guard Paul George for an entire game? I probably wouldn't, personally. And... There's a lot of those guys across the league, Mike, like there's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Devin Booker and on and on and on. Those guys are the key of the league, I feel like. And I'm not sure if you want to depend on Bays to say like, 
that's your guy. Go and hold him down some. And that's, I think, mostly because he weighs 195 pounds. You know, yeah. like that's that's what yep. he's listed at. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's more. He's more KCP, and KCP is 204 pounds. So KCP is about got about an inch and 10 pounds on Baysmore. So Bays to me, I do think about him in the way that I think about KCP. Really, more on the defensive I like side that of the floor. Yeah. yeah, he can chase guys around screens. He's going to give you. He's always going to compete for you. But you don't want to ask him to stop a train uh, that's coming down the tracks. And that was that was one thing that Danny Green could do. And last year, you didn't have as many guys that were you know you sh- shooter a little bit small also for that, although tough enough in certain circumstances. But that's where you are. You are kind of asking LeBron in some situations there when it really comes down to it. And you're, if you were going against Kawhi and they happen to play the Clippers in a playoff series, you know, that was where LeBron was really going to have to give a lot on that end. And then that's also the where I think like Russell Westbrook, I think I would I would rather have him battle if you could really get him engaged with a bigger wing than Bazemore, you know, and, and have Bazemore that. defend the point guard. Because that's it, it, he also has the while he's not big enough to defend some big wings, he's got some he's got a little bit of length to him and he's got a little bit. Of, so that's the kind of thing where, yeah, that like that's why I mentioned Steph Curry, where he's the kind of guy where just chase Steph, you know, just chase him like he's going to get his shot, but just be there with him. Steph's not going to overpower you. He's going to cross you over. He's going to step back on you. And that's the kind of guy that I, I'd rather use base more on um, than somebody that's shifting up towards the wing. Yeah, I think that you're spot on with that. When I think of a player's defensive capabilities, I think, can an offensive player go around you? Can they go through you or can they go over the top of you? When you brought up KCP, that was going to be my, until you brought it up, that was going to be my one little pushback is that Bazemore is a more difficult player to go over the top of because he's got a seven foot wingspan. He's rangy and, and he's quick. He can get a hand up and contest in a way that KCP just doesn't have that degree of length. However, guys are able to those bigger wings, those power wings are going to be guys that that are able to go through him. That's why I think that I'm super curious about LeBron's season this year and how I, I LeBron being that shapeshifter ability to be anything that we need him to be. The needs that we have on this team in particular are and I'm not I'm not advocating year 19 LeBron go chase around other teams best wings for an entire 82 game season, right? However, I do think that come playoff time, LeBron being able to absorb some of that responsibility and, and handle those power wings while Bazemore and, is on those. And, and, oh, and AD, no, Pete, and AD, frankly, like if, if he's not playing, like that's where you can you can deploy AD on anybody you want, right? And 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 this is that right there, and that being LeBron as well. I think we're going to switch more this season. At least I think that the roster is more conducive to that. And so Bazemore is kind of this. In between, he's not going to hold off a DeAndre Ayton around the basket for the same ring reason he can't defend a power wing, but the, the ability to get into passing lanes and get deflections and all of that activity within the context of a bigger team that is switching everything, that does have Anthony Davis lurking out on the perimeter or in the paint, I think that Bazemore defensively fits within our broader construct in a way that is harder to see when you just look at his skills. Well, there's two different lines of thought for me a the switching stuff is is definitely on point but you switch more when anthony davis is a center right yes and, and, and so how much are the lakers going to play center with well with ad at center and if they are playing at center is bays more one of your best options to be in the game as well right so there's all this 
there's all this domino effect, right? And, and so, for for example, I could see, I could see lineups where AD is at center, LeBron is at power forward, and then Russ is in the game, right? This is a closing lineup. Who are the next two guys? Mm-hmm. One of them is probably going to be Trevor Ariza, or right, right? Like you were talking. Oh, you think about, so? I think that if there is. If there is another wing to be, this is where the idea of who is the wing stopper and who is the guy you're going to put on on a wing. Is it Bazemore or is it Ariza? It's not going to be Carmelo Anthony. And it, because this is where, of course, if it's LeBron, then okay, maybe it's LeBron, but I'm not sure if it's going to be LeBron. And if AD is at center, it's not going to be AD. Right. Mm -hmm. They put AD on the Kawhi's and all of those dudes and well, and the Jimmy Butler almost exclusively when when he was playing next to another big. So Ariza is clearly the sort of just looking at him, the physical, right? The the measurements, what we've seen of him in the past, he's the obvious guy that you would want. We just don't know the degree to which he's going to be closer to that player at this stage of his career. But on paper, right? Yes, like of course he's the profile of the guy that you want in the big wings. I, I just, you know, we need to we need to see that he still can compete at that level. And if he can't, then more questions come up. These situations also are if we are switching, it's way more about the offense picking the mismatch that they the best matchup that they feel like they have. And so I do think Ariza we'll have another pod where at least Ariza is a segment of all of the guys that I've that I've watched. He's been the guy that I'm probably lowest on in terms of his current his current state. Although there are people whose basketball opinion I really respect who really think highly of him as a wing defender, even at this point. So if if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, tell me the game to watch. I haven't found it yet on tape. Anyway, is it Pete? Is it more of like a of like a Nick Batum thing, you know, where he was in Charlotte and but he was with Miami, you know, like he wasn't. Long, yeah, but that team wasn't. I mean, I know they were in the playoffs, but I don't know if this is I'm trying to I'm trying to get there for what that perspective is. I agree with you. I didn't see it when I watched him play with Miami last year, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe there's some hope. Sorry, hope and, is the right word there, right? And, and, yeah, and we've, we we've derailed. It. I'm sorry, Darius. You said Trevor Ariza. We went off on a whole different branch of the tree. The discussion on Bazemore, and this is where the reason why we can quickly go to Ariza when the primary point of discussion here is Kent Bazemore is, is because there is a domino effect with this Lakers roster and Bazemore is going to be a key player, but all of these role players have, have a ceiling and Bazemore has a real ceiling. And when he hits that ceiling, where do the Lakers turn is a real question that needs real answers. Right. And and so maybe it's THT, maybe it is going smaller and it's none with Westbrook playing next to him. Right. Maybe it is like, okay, well it is a Riza. And now here's mellow and it's just like, all right, well, no, let's go more offense. We're not stopping any of these guys. Right. Like there could be all of these different solutions that the Lakers have at their fingertips. And it's where Vogel's job gets super interesting. And to a certain extent, hard. Just like it was last season where it's like, hey, man, we gave you 10, 11, 12 players. All of them can probably play in this league. And we signed them to all minimum contracts. None of them really have that upper hand 
in terms of status or anything based off of contracts, right? The guys that do are THT and none. They're the only, like, and THT is a returning guy, so we know the Lakers think think high of him already. And so Bazemore and his limitations and how you use him best. And if it is in switching lineups, then okay, but even that has a ceiling, right? Because you can't expect him to switch onto everyone. So what is the best lineup situation environment? What's the best, the best version of Kent Bazemore will be in what type of situation? If he can hit the three, I think starting is probably his best outcome for him. And I think he probably takes the least off of the table as a low usage guy, as a starter. Mike, A, do you agree with that? Because I know you brought him up as a potential fifth starter in a discussion a few pods ago. A, if that's true, great, then tell me why. But B, do you think it stays the same if the Lakers do not start with a too big lineup, right? Where if it's not Gasol and it actually is AD at center, do you see Bazemore as a starter then? Because I actually think it might change if they go with AD at the five rather than a more traditional big. Yeah, no, I do think it would change if that happens. I am not currently mentally, at least entertaining AD starting at the five. I, maybe if it happens, I'll believe it. I guess I just don't, I just don't really see the purpose um, or the, the likelihood given what we've seen from this team in the past. I know you've been moving over to this Pete, but I have not heard anything <laughs> internally that that I uh, that suggests otherwise. Let, let me just ask you this one question. This is a, a another detour, real quick. Are we sure that we didn't move on from Mark last year in a practical sense? Right, like what actually happened with Mark was he was the starting center, and then we signed somebody to replace him, and then. Mark was not in the rotation at all. And then once we got to the playoffs, Mark didn't play in game one. He came off of the bench and then eventually started the last the last game. But are we sure that there wasn't a like that there wasn't a we're moving on from even if it's not AD at the five? Are we sure it's Mark? Because he seems like the logical alternative. No, we're not sure it's Mark, but it could be Dwight. Like it, it's or it could be it, it, I don't. Mark said after the last Spain game that he was coming back right and he has so there's no there hasn't been any talk of otherwise that i've heard unless you're unless you're holding out on me with a not, with, not i would never you know like something you, that you i don't know, know. so i, I don't, would never i just don't <laughs> i don't yeah i i'm just i have not put together the pieces on this um i know this is not this is far off your original question which was back to basemore darius jump in here and then i'll i'll i promise i will answer the, the basemore part of this no in terms of mark i'm not sure that they moved on from him, Pete. Like, I think that a lot of what happened to Mark last season was circumstance. He got COVID. He got COVID. And he was the oldest player on the team. And I'm being kind here, but Mark isn't LeBron James, right? They're both the same age. But in terms of physical shape, he's he is not LeBron James. And if you're looking at a player who is maybe not the most athletic dude, maybe isn't in the best shape of his career and he gets COVID, a part of me feels like the Lakers were hedging their bets a little bit like, hey, we could okay. use a different type of big guy too. Well, and and, and they needed to see what they had in Drummond. 
Yeah. Yes, and and if Mark doesn't recover, it'd be nice to have another guy. And the other guy that we could get is a dude who was an all-star in the NBA just two it seasons was free. ago. Was free. And was free. But in order to get him, based off of all the reporting, this isn't me hearing anything, it's the reporting that was out there, the Lakers basically had to promise him a starting job. And so they basically didn't necessarily move on from Mark as much as they were just like, all right, well, we're kind of playing ourselves into a corner here. And so without that, without that in the mix, my assumption is Mark's going to get a legitimate chance to be a rotation player again and potentially start. Will it be the same sort of starting role he had last season? I doubt it. I would imagine he'd be much more in the JaVale starter role than he was last season in the Marcus All starter role where Mark almost always got a second shift in the first half as a yeah, starter. He was a three shift guy normally. He yes. wouldn't close normally, well, but the, he would get that second and, shift in the first half. By the way, Drummond yeah. didn't play in game six, right? Right. But what I'm saying is, is that, that was game. the last resort, right? That yeah. in, in game six, you're in with Anthony Davis hurt, but trying to play, you're in trying to find answers mode. And even Vogel said that after the game. My point is that like, we're going to start and play Mark Gasol after we got Drummond. That was never plan A at any point. And so the idea that the next season, it's like, oh, we didn't really mean all that. Yeah, now you're the starter. I don't even know, you know if I would say that though. I, yeah, I don't know if I would say that was never, there wasn't like a, they didn't have a, this is what has to happen. That was a talent acquisition that was free. And that was a, we'll see what we have in AD. We'll see how healthy LeBron is. And then like, we'll like what they did in the previous playoff year series or the previous playoff year, Dwight Howard would start sometimes. JaVale McGee would start sometimes. Anthony Davis would start sometimes. So that's my point about the center spot. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's not there. It, you can start Mark. Uh, presumably, he's healthy and he's there to start the season. You could start Dwight. You could find some center like Damian Jones that comes in. But you're for sure. I think they're going to start a center next to AD. He's not going to be the full time starter at the five. Is is what everything that we have to this point has told us. If that changes, th- then I can understand the argument for AD. But I I don't see it going there just to start the season. For sure. In the context of Bazemore, though, if we do start a center, whether it's Mark or Dwight. If we do start a big next to AD, that has a chain reaction effect on the rest of the roster. And so all of a sudden it is where do Bazemore and Nunn and THT and all of those guys, you know, guys like Monk and Ellington, I am. But even then, like, why do they sign here? Why do both guys sign here as shooters, as kind of one side of the ball guys? If there a lot of I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of things that happen to make more sense from different perspectives if AD is at the five. Because if if it is Mark starting or Dwight, where do the minutes come from? Like, say, Bazemore is the starter there, but then you've got a numbers crunch behind them. So anyhow, again, that's a, a whole detour. I know Darius asked you uh, about Bazemore starting uh, in general. Yeah, I yeah, I, I guess I'm not as – I don't have as my antenna tuned to that as much because I think that what we're going to see for sure – presuming in a healthy AD season, we're going to see him play probably more center. That's at least one thing that we've seen. And that's get gets back to your two shift versus three shift thing. So I don't know. That's, that's how it doesn't impact the guard rotation and the minutes and stuff as much. But I think that if you, it's the same reason why we're trying to figure out who's going to start because there's no obvious answer. Uh, Bazemore is the first one sure. that we've given. And I will, I will maintain that. But the reason you sign there, if you're a Malik Monk or you're Ellington or you're Bazemore is because 
it's easier to beat out whichever one of those other guys that are on the Lakers than it is to beat out a lot of different two guards that are that are locked in and have to be there or, or wings or whatever in other places in the league. Plus, it's L.A. Plus, you get a chance to win. Plus, the money was probably the same elsewhere. So where would you rather live? Right. So it's like that's to me where why you you're able to get the nun and the monk element of this in addition to Ellington and Bazemore, all of whom I think are would would are good enough to to be in that kind of support role. But none is good enough to guarantee. Well, none of them, not Kendrick, none, right? <laughs> yeah. none of them are an automatic and. Like I find myself, I think you said this in our last pod, Pete, about Kendrick Nunn, and like that to me is the most intriguing. As, as to, we just need to. We're a little bit more familiar with the way that Baysmore can fit as a role player than we are with Nunn, because he's only played two years in the league, and he was in kind of a specific spot. So if he can show some of these other qualities, then there's there's some more upside there, certainly on the offensive end. But then how about the defensive end? Maybe he impresses everybody and he competes a little bit. So that I'm that's where we get to the point. I'm like, I yeah, I'd probably start with Bazemore because it's a bit more of a known quantity. Just like Darius mentioned about Ariza. That's a bit more of a known quality defending big wings. But like all this stuff has to be put on wax now with this specific group around LeBron, AD and, and Russ. And that's what it's going to that's why it's like early season auditions for all of us. Mike, to your point about beating other guys out. And why do guys sign sign here? It's you sign here because you probably got sold on something. And then in the end, though, you still have to go out and compete and earn your role. Right. And it's one thing to get a guy on the buyout market and sort of promise him some things. And then as the GM or whatever. Right. But you're likely having those conversations with the head coach too, like, hey, we have a chance to get this guy. He as a buyout guy. And but we have to start him in order to keep him right. And Drummond was a thirty million dollar player, right? Before he came to to the Lakers, there's a certain amount of cachet a guy like him has, and so maybe you do count out to him a little bit. I feel like all of these guys, to Mike's point, are sort of starting out at an equal level to a certain extent, and there's no difference between an Ellington or a Baysmore or maybe even a Malik Monk right? Who is a former lottery pick, um, or maybe even a THT who we haven't discussed a lot yet in this series of, of off season pods, but could very well see himself as having the inside track to being a starter, right? Like, look, he's most well paid. Like I'm the incumbent. I make the most money. I'm the guy who his, who the coach has two years of stuff to use Mike's term. I got two years on wax. With these exact guys, right? With the two guys who won a championship. I, I played in the playoffs last season for, for this team and the season before. The season that we won the championship. I got a ring too, right? And so there's a lot of different guys who might have a certain opinion about what's going to happen. Frank Vogel's the guy who's, who's going to have, have to, to decide. It would not surprise me though if defense is the tiebreaker, right? But if a guy lights it up in camp, or catches Vogel's eye by defending hard when that's not necessarily his reputation. And now, and he brings something to, to the table offensively. That guy could very well leap to the top of the heap. And whether or not AD starts at the five or not, 
And getting back to Bazemore, though, he was the only one that I heard sort of say, I sign here because I'm going to have a role, right? Yeah. There was no one really else who, who said that. And so that's the thing that kind of catches my ear a little bit when thinking about him specifically. Whether that's a starting role or a key rotation role, I don't know. But that, he was the only one who sort of said that as part of his, his reasoning for coming here as well. That caught my ear as well, and I think that that's something – Bazemore is unlikely to get more than I think a vet minimum contract going forward in his career. He's not at the end of his NBA career, I don't believe, but at 32, you've got more time ahead if you can still compete for a couple of years. It was Nunn and, and Monk specifically who stood out to me as guys who are 23 and 26 years old who aren't have not signed their last NBA contract. And if they were to go somewhere where they got touches and got opportunity, that could be leveraged into into a, a significant deal of which neither player has signed a significant second contract. And so them signing here now, mind you, the Lakers are a stage. And we even saw this offseason where if you don't play particularly well or particularly well at the right time, that can diminish your value and diminish what you get in free agency just as it can if you ball out you end up getting a contract that and signing somewhere else that that maybe you wouldn't have gotten had you not been on this stage and i i also think it's important to make there's got to be some differentiation between whatever an agent talks about with the executive and what ends up happening on the team with the head coach sometimes those things Great are point. completely in line sometimes they're not at all uh, really, I should say not at all, but they're like, sure. Hey, this is what my I would like my client uh, to be a starter. And the executive can be like, well, look, he's definitely going to be in competition for the starting role. So then the agent can go to a reporter and say, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, it, it seems like he's going to have the, the first chance to start. But then you get into training camp like it, none of that stuff is matters, I think, as much as we sometimes discuss it because a certain reporter puts it out there. That, that's I just wanted to get that on. Uh, I, I got to stop saying put it on wax. I'm thinking of like old vinyl hip hop things. Do they even put <laughs> stuff on wax anymore? No, they just put it into a laptop now. You know? No, they do. They right. they definitely put things on wax still. Got to <laughs> go out and buy a record collection. Get an old player. Or well, I, mean, I know they make some, but I'm just saying. Like I've got I've got. Um, you know what? That's going to be a tangent for another time. But I'm looking at a a vinyl um, Midnight Marauders record and low end theory wow. that I have over in the the other side that someone was very kind enough to gift to me. Um, but that's the only one I own because I don't have a record player. To speak to your point about discussions that are had between an agent and and an executive, Wes Matthews made similar comments last season as well, right? Like, oh, the opportunity to maybe start it for the Lakers and win a championship. That was one of the first things he said in his first media availability. And we, we saw how that went for Wes, right? It didn't really go that way for him. And so Mike, you're right. Bazemore could have a big role and it could fall in line exactly with sort of those, those, early discussions or it could be something where he ends up being on the outside look well looking in I think the depth of this team at that position especially like the guard and sort of like smaller wing section makes it so that he could end up being out of the mix because there are other capable guys who have NBA skills too whether it's THT or whether it's Ellington or whether it's Monk or if the Lakers go small or whether it's none Right. And, and and so Lakers have a lot of different options 
and Bazemore is one of them. So we'll see how that goes. I would be surprised if Bazemore is not in the playoff rotation and is outside looking in. Uh, he's of again. I reserve the right to change my mind on on any of these guys as more evidence comes in. But from my initial wa- my initial watches of each guy, he's the guy where I feel like he's the there's the greatest discrepancy between what he's making and what he can bring to the table on this specific team. So I'm, I'm high on the Kent Bazemore side. And just, for sure. and just for the record last year, now that just one, just one number, um, but he did have the second best net rating uh, on the Warriors. Like his defensive rating was good. Offensive rating was pretty good. So like he, he did have a good year for them. And, and Pete mentioned part of that was he shot the ball really well. Part of that's because Steph was getting like triple teamed um, and everybody was getting wide open shots around sure. there. But, but he, like he did have a pretty good year last year. He is the most to your to both those those points. He is the most complete player. Yes, the Lakers signed right. He is not the most high end guy in any of these different skills, right? But he is the most complete player. If you you, you know Monk might be the most explosive one, or or Ellington might be the best shooter, or none might be the best shot creator. But Bazemore can do all of those things a little bit, and and he competes defensively. And I think that's why we're looking at him as a guy who we're going to focus on just him for a whole individual pod because he's super intriguing that way. Absolutely. And in that vein, the next couple pods, we're going to be combining a couple of different players amongst the role guys that we brought in. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.